We had a, a physician call us. She had been using our technology and she had a patient that had all the classic symptoms of chronic fatigue. Not only that, but her lab values were significantly out of whack. She was about ready to put her on a thyroid medication. Then she said, I think, you know, let's just take a sample from your sinuses and I want to send it to Microgen Diagnostics. And I really want to see what the current state of this, of your microbiome in your sinuses. Has somebody moved in there that's just creating you, causing you to feel lousy? And essentially when she got the report back from it, she noticed that there was a high amount of a mold called aspergillosis, which is if you, if you took samples from healthy people, you wouldn't find it. So she said to the woman, I think I've identified the problem. I mean, you have, you have been exposed to this mold and it's dominating your sinus tract and we need to treat it. And so when they treated it, Literally, her symptoms went away, her lab values returned to normal, and she didn't need to go on thyroid meds. Basically, the problem had been solved. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in. As we talk with people who are making a difference, Rick Martin is the CEO of Microgen DX, a diagnostic laboratory providing DNA sequencing and rapid PCR-based microbial testing for clinical applications. Welcome, Rick Martin. We are going to talk about DNA sequencing, something I absolutely know nothing about. So why don't you tell us what you do? So essentially, if if you get sick with a, an infection, say you get a urinary tract infection, you know, almost women, 50 or all women will, at one point in their life will get a urinary tract infection. Or if you're suffering from a chronic sinus infection, or maybe you have a chronic wound, all those involved microbes, bacteria, and fungus. So um, what happens in your urinary tract infection, you have, you have microbes that are in your urinary tract. It's called a microbiome. We used to think the urine was sterile. Um, that's because the tool we were using to detect microbes didn't find them. So we assumed, oh, it must be sterile. But that was only because we were using an 1870s technology. Now we can take urine and we can say, oh, wow, there's a whole community of microbes in our urinary tract. And I feel fine. I don't have any symptoms. I don't have any pain. And then all of a sudden we feel pain and we get blood in our urine. And what's happening is what's called this dysbiosis. Some new microbe has found its way into your urinary tract or some new microbe has found its way into your sinuses. And your body reacts. Your, our bodies are amazing. Why do we get fevers? Well, because we're trying to pretty much bake the bacteria, the invaders, and basically raise the temperature so that they, it kills them. We send white blood cells to the area to try to kill them. Um, so we are doing everything we can to try to, to correct these invaders or to take them out of the area that they've come into. Before antibiotics, you know, you died of infections. So once we had antibiotics, now we have to figure out, people think that all antibiotics cover all bacteria, all infections. Simply not true. But once you want to use an antibiotic, you need to know well, what kind of bacteria or fungus am I up against? Is this a gram-negative bacteria? Um, so I need to know the species. I need to know who that bacteria is because the scientists at the pharmaceutical companies have designed these antibiotics to work on specific bacteria. So if we don't feel well, if we have a UTI and we go to the doctor and the doctor takes a urine culture, they're growing the bacteria. That's an 1870s technology. And, and a lot of times the doctor doesn't even get the culture results back. They just put you on an antibiotic we call empirically. And so 
If it works, great. But a lot of times it doesn't work and you're still miserable. And so it's because the doctor didn't really know which bacteria or fungus was in there. And so they are relying on this tool of growing culture. So what we can do now is we, thanks to the whole genome project and what we've understood about, you know, our, our DNA and we've, you know, we've been able to sequence our, the whole human. And now we know the DNA of all the different bacteria. And if you ask the average doctor, how many bacteria have you seen on your culture reports in your entire medical career? And they might say 30 or 40 species. And then when you tell them, well, you know, we have DNA evidence of over 10,000. And because they simply are not identified because they don't grow in this 1870s Petri dish. So what we do is we take a sample from a urine or a sinus and the physician, just like they would do on any traditional culture. Only the difference is they're sending it to our lab and now we're not gonna grow those microbes. We're gonna basically extract the DNA and we're, we're then going to match it to a known library or database of sequences for this bacteria. Similar to what you do in crime scenes. The easiest analogy is that people watch CSI and you say, when they go to a crime scene, what are they doing? They're collecting DNA. They're collecting DNA off of a weapon, a doorknob, a pizza box, you know, and they're taking that DNA back to their lab and then they're extracting it and then they're matching it to a library. And that library just happens to be held by the FBI and the US government. So if, if your DNA is in the library and they have your DNA at the crime scene, it's like, aha, uh -huh, you know, your DNA is only your DNA. And now we have a match. So we found your DNA at the crime scene. So you were there. And so we have the same ability now with infections rather than using an 1870s tool of trying to grow them, which we don't, they don't grow, and then we miss them, and then we put people on the wrong antibiotics, they suffer longer, they have to go back to the doctor again, well, let's try a different antibiotic. It's a terrible approach to, to medicine. Um, if you get lucky, it's fine, you know, you don't, you, you, first antibiotic works and you're, you're happy, um, but if you're in that unlucky few where, you know, you have to keep coming back for another rounds of antibiotics, and what's really bad about that approach is, Every time we use the wrong antibiotic, the bacteria learn. So that's why we have this problem of resistance to antibiotics because doctors have been using them up for the wrong bug, wrong bug, wrong drug. And that results in the bacteria saying, aha, now I can acquire resistance to, this, to these antibiotics. I learned from these antibiotics. They're very smart. They've been around for billions of years. So the, 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 if you don't get the diagnosis correct, it has significant implications, not only to the patient's suffering, uh, but to our use of the weapons that we've had. And so as time goes on, the antibiotics are getting less and less effective because we haven't been very good at picking the right one. So that's essentially what we're doing. And the barrier to this technology has been, if you wanted to sequence a sample, it would take months. And obviously you're not gonna wait for your doctor to months later for a report back. So it would take months and it would cost thousands of dollars. And like anything in technology, you know, as time goes on, we get faster, better, cheaper, less expensive. And so now we're able to take a urine sample, a sinus sample in three and a half days average, tell the physician exactly with DNA evidence, precisely what bacteria or what fungus are in your sample. So it's kind of like that aha moment where the doctor gets the report and says, oh, I did a culture on you and the culture didn't show any of this. It showed, it showed staph aureus, but you have much more pseudomonas. You have this fungal in there. Have, and so they now that they have all this information, they can pick the right antibiotic and put you on the right antibiotic from the very beginning and get you better faster.
Is this something doctors are doing or do, does the patient have to request it? Hey, rather than brewing a culture, could you do the DNA? The thing about medicine is it's really hard to change. And, and that's why I, I love doing these radio programs because what's and what the internet has done for us is obviously made everybody Dr. Googles. So, you know, you can be your best advocate for your own healthcare and go online and find out about this. And so we get a lot of, of our, of our demand from patients who are educated. They go on to blogs, they hear from like in, in, in urinary tract infections. If you're a woman with a UTI and you've had that UTI and it keeps coming back and your doctor's not solving the problem, well, they go on the internet and they, they find blogs with other women that have the same problem or men that have the same problem. And through those blogs, they talk about technologies like ours. And so we'll get patients that'll call and say, I read about how your technology helped this person. I want my doctor to use that. Can I order one of your collection kits and bring it to my doctor's office and ask my doctor, hey, I already, we already tried my, my LabCorp request you know, culture and it didn't work. I want you to use this test. Um, and so we get that. We also get doctors that have patients bring it in and say, why haven't I heard about this? Why am I just learning about this? Well, it's really hard to, to educate physicians in the sense that, you know, they're very busy. They have to see a lot of patients during the day. Um, you know, if, if we don't have a large sales organization to go out there and try to get in, in front of them. And when they do say, hey, why haven't I heard about this? We're like, well, because you won't see anybody. <laughs> you won't, you're not open to us coming in and teaching you about new technology. So it's been a challenge, but we're getting there. I mean, we have more than 10,000 physicians nationwide that are, that are, are using us. Um, so it, it's growing. To change medicine, you really have to have really good scientific evidence, which is what the way it should be. Medicine, they shouldn't just take the snake oil salesman that comes along and says, hey, try this. They are trained and taught to see good, solid evidence published in top journals. And so that's what we've done. We have more than 70 published studies now because I know if I want, to, if I want my team to go in and talk to that doctor, they got to have good scientific evidence to say, here's how our technology was used in this study with urinary tract infections. Here's how our technology was used in wound infections and sinuses and orthopedic infections. And so we're doing all of those studies to put that evidence in front of the doctor and say, hey, here it is. Here's the proof that this is a solution for you or a better option for you than what you were taught in medical school. But it, it's hard to change them. <laughs> it, it is, and it's hard. I know even for the pharmaceuticals to get in front of the doctors because they do, they're so busy, but a few red flags are going off because I have heard this story. They don't know what it is. They don't know what's going on. And then also the whole thing with antibiotics and when you take them for everything, then they're not as effective. Some of the things you said, sinus infection, UTI, those are usually short-term, but they sometimes go long-term, which is alarming. But what about something like chronic fatigue? Because I am hearing more and more people that I know that have chronic fatigue. A lot of times when you think about chronic fatigue, what are the symptoms? You know, you're tired, you're lethargic, you don't have a lot of energy, you have headaches. A lot of those are the same symptoms you get when you have infection, <laughs> especially if you have respiratory infections or sinus infections. Um, I remember years ago, we had a, a physician call us from uh, Texas, and uh, she had been using our technology, and she had a patient that had all the classic symptoms of chronic fatigue. Not only that, but her lab values were significantly out of whack. I mean, her thyroid was, measurements were, were not where they needed to be, 
And so she was about ready to put her on a thyroid medication. And then she said, I think, you know, let's just take a sample from your sinuses. And I want to send it to Microgen Diagnostics. And I really want to see what the current state of this, of your microbiome in your sinuses. Has somebody moved in there that's just creating you, causing you to feel lousy? And essentially when she got the report back, she noticed that there was a high amount of a mold called aspergillosis, which is if you, if you took samples from healthy people, you wouldn't find it. So she said to the woman, I think I identified the problem. I mean, you have, you have been exposed to this mold and it's dominating your sinus tract and we need to treat it. And so when they treated it, literally her symptoms went away, her lab values returned to normal and she didn't need to go on thyroid meds. And she was basically had been, the problem had been solved. There are countless cases where it's a diagnosis of chronic fatigue, but it, you really need to eliminate the, is there really maybe an underlying chronic infection going on here? Because microbes, you know, when we think about infection, we think about there's infections that are acute infections. As you said, they, they don't last long, they're short. Um, but a lot of infections are chronic infections. And in those chronic infections, the microbes behave entirely different. They don't want to kill you. They just want to live in this new space they found, you know, and basically you're their source of food and, uh, and they'll, you know, they'll stay there and they'll grow there and your body will say, Hey, um, they don't belong here. And uh, we're going to have an inflammatory response and we're going to give you symptoms that are make you're going to make you feel lousy. <laughs> it's because we're trying to fight these invaders that have moved in this area that don't, they don't belong. So often in marketing, we hear word of mouth is such a great way to spread the word. And I think about as people share their stories, hey, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue and it wasn't that at all. Do you have a place, a webpage or a place where people can hear these stories? And We need to do a better job on that. I think the, the blogs that are specific indications for the different types of, of health problems like women that get are diagnosed with what's called IC or interstitial cystitis. It's really just, they get chronic urinary tract infections. Many of them are just put into this category because their cultures are negative and the doctors don't think they're infected. But the reality is they are, they just use the wrong test. Mm -hmm. And so when they get treated with the right antibiotics, all of a sudden they're healthy and they're no longer an IC patient, but they have whole blogs. People go to these sites to learn it's a good idea. I mean, we need to start facilitating that, that transfer of, of experiences from patients to, to help get that word out. Because as I tell people, you know, again, be your, be your, you're your own best advocate for your healthcare and, you know, to be informed and, and helping people become better informed. So they become their own advocate and can defend what they want and why they want it. Some people are really good at that in almost to the extreme where, like you say, Dr. Google, they're like, they could diagnose you. <laughs> but yeah. also I see a lot of people that because they don't know, they accept whatever the diagnosis is. And it doesn't mean that the doctor means to be wrong, but here now it sounds like we have this new technology, a new way of figuring things out and that we could be seeing relief across the board if people have a chronic problem that they would reach out, ask for a kit and take it to their doctor? Is that sort of the way you see it evolving? Yes. I've even had doctors and some doctors from some of the top academic institutions and, and COVID really changed the market on this because 
I mean, we were looking at going directly to the patients with a, a collection kit and have it on the store shelf of Walgreens or CVS for something example. And, and we were focusing on going to the physicians and then, but COVID really opened our eyes to say, you know what, people can now go in and just buy a COVID test, you know, at the CVS or Walgreens. So, and this physician said to me, Rick, and you should be doing the same. Why, if, if they have a sinus infection? And I thought, Physicians wouldn't like that. They would they would rather have the patient come to them and have them order it. So I was kind of taken back by his his response. Now, does he reflect all physicians? No. I'm sure there's still a, a large segment of the medical community that would say, no, don't let that happen. Make them come to us and we'll and we'll pick the appropriate. I see that with our technology just within medical specialties. I mean, the infectious disease physicians don't want the other doctors having access to our technology because they have a fear that, well, okay, now they're going to get our report and they're going to make a decision on which antibiotic or antifungal to use. And only we should be doing that because we're the infectious disease experts. You know, the other doctors like, no, I, I don't, I can consult them when I need them, but I, for a lot of cases, I don't need them. These are all the dynamics that come into this dilemma of trying to get people cured and, and solving these problems. And change is hard, but I think what we saw in COVID was, I mean, so there's this older generation. They they don't like technology. They're not going to use it. Guess what? They're Zooming with their grandkids now. Yeah. It's interesting. So the pivot, so to speak, uh, that you've seen is that maybe now these will be in the grocery store or the CVS and people can get them. And would they take them to their doctor or just send them right to back to the lab? Or how does that work? It depends if they want their insurance to cover it. So say they have Medicare and Medicare covers our test. They reimburse our test, which is great because then met, the poor Medicare patient doesn't have to pay for it. But if they want to have it Medicare pay for it, then their doctor has to order it um, and the doctor has to sign for it. And so we have to have a medical reason why they're signing for it before we can submit a claim to Medicare uh, for, to get reimbursed for this sample. Um, but we give a, we have, and then the commercial insurances you have to go, they, it's the same thing. If you want your insurance to pay for it, then the insurance company, whether it's Medicare or the private payer, United or Humana, they're going to want to have a doctor, you know, authorizing it and signing for it. But we have a lot of patients that simply say, you know what, I'm just going to pay cash for it. And I, you don't need to file insurance. And, you know, what's the, what's the cash price? And we, we charge, you know, 199 uh, for, which is amazing because, if you went into a, a lab core request to do a traditional culture and, and, and people don't understand when you do culture and grow it, you have to do it in different types. So there's a, what they call aerobic, there's anaerobic, there's fungus. Each one of those is a separate cost. And if you add them all together, they're a lot more than our test. Um, so there are ways for patients to do it in themselves, but if, the minute they want to use their insurance, then it creates a different path on, on how we have to, what we have to have in place to make sure we have, their authorization of their physician. Well, it's good to know that there are options. And often somebody may not be able to pay for it, but their family member might be like, hey, let's just get this over with. So I love it that you are taking this challenge. It seems like there's so many facets because you've got the customer and you've got the doctor and you've got wanting, yeah, <laughs> to figure this all out. What brought you to this particular work? I was an army officer uh, and graduated from college and went, went directly into the, uh, the army. And I did that for four, five years. I only wanted to go in for a short time. When I left, I had a number of opportunities as an ex-army officer. Pfizer Pharmaceuticals was one that at that time in the late 80s, early 90s, 
hired a lot of ex-military officers for their sales group. I entered Pfizer's organization and they had what was called an anti-infective division. So we were, we were trained to go in and, and basically uh, sell our antimicrobial antibiotics, antifungals to the infectious disease community into hospitals. So we had to know our bugs and drugs and our competitors, and we had to be able to show good scientific literature to convince a physician why they should use Pfizer's antibiotic. I did for actually 19 years. I worked my way up through Pfizer to be ran sales and marketing for Pfizer in Turkey, and then eventually went on to Madrid and London and did work internationally and, and, and managed all of Pfizer's sales organizations across Europe and Canada. Um, and eventually I decided to come home. Uh, my wife, we had three kids and we lived in Europe for about eight years and I was never around because I was always working and traveling. So we decided to come back to the U.S. When I came back to the U.S., I stayed with Pfizer a little bit, and then I eventually started working in it with a new company that was making these bioengineered products for wounds, chronic wounds. And through that, I learned about this technology. These, these wounds would not heal, and then we, they were populated with a lot of bacteria. And so I've, I researched and found that there was a new technology to identify the bacteria in these chronic wounds. I met with the doctor who started the lab, uh, Dr. Randall Walcott, who was the founder of our lab, who was doing a lot of research in chronic wounds. And uh, he had amazing success with healing people's chronic wounds by using this DNA evidence to then pick the appropriate antibiotics, apply them directly to the wound tissue, and it had amazing results. Um, and so I, I saw that firsthand, and then I just worked with him. He had a hard time getting physicians to understand the technology. And I came from a sales background and I said, I think I can help you. <laughs> so I, I started working with him and eventually he wanted to retire and, and told me he would it basically uh, only wanted to sell the lab to me because he was afraid, uh, essentially he was afraid that another lab would buy it and shelve it. Um, that it was a threat. It was disruptive and it is disruptive. It's hugely disruptive. That was in 2017. And I've been leading our efforts and I've expanded across in our research in, in orthopedic infections and sinus infections and urologic infections. This upcoming uh, American Urologic Association, which is the biggest urology meeting, we have five studies being presented. Um, so we're, we're, we're doing everything we can to get the evidence in front of physicians to get them to change. And if they change, then more people will have access to our technology, which was Dr. Walcott's original vision was that every patient with a chronic wound would have access to this technology to heal their wound. Well, and it seems to me that when you say DNA, like there's so many things that people are leery of or what DNA seems to be like, yes, let's do this. So it seems to me hearing you say this, I feel like I want to call all my friends with any of these things that you've mentioned and say, hey, have you heard? So where can somebody go to get more information so they can get this accurate diagnosis or treatment for these infections, these problems they have? Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because I've helped a lot of friends and family have called me and I, I tell my sales team, I was like, you have to think when you go into that office that it was your mom or your dad or your loved one, would you want them to have this technology if they were suffering? And you would. Um, so um, we, we're pretty passionate about our messaging and, and getting it out there. But the, the best way is to go to our, our website, microgen, it's M-I-C-R-O-G-E-N-D-X dot com. And when you first come on the website, you'll see actually a video we made 
for patients and physicians that have been using us. And you'll see patients literally in tears and how they suffered. And one test from us was able to get them on the right antibiotic and solve their problem and change their life. And so they're so grateful. Um, we have physicians who have been using it and have talked about how that's revolutionized their practice. Um, so people that start, the physicians who start to use it, they don't go back to cultures. Um, and, and patients that have had it, they want to tell, like you, they say they want to tell everybody that, hey, don't, no need to suffer. There's a, there's a solution to solving this problem. Well, we're here to help you spread the word. This sounds just amazing and wonderful. And, and I just think of change is hard no matter what, but man, if it's going to give people relief, you know, it's got to be hard. So to think that there might actually be some relief that maybe the treatment they got wasn't necessarily what they needed uh, makes me feel very hopeful. And so I feel like that's what maybe what you are bringing with this is hope for people to live their best life. Yeah. The most rewarding part of what we do is the patient's success stories, the stories that tell people call us and say, thank you for giving my life back because I suffered. I was miserable. I mean, a woman that had chronic sinus infection for years, couldn't get through the day. When she got home from work, she was so tired. She just laid down and one finally went to an ENT doctor, took our, used our technology, found the, the bacteria causing it, treated her. And she said, and she said to us, we actually got her on tape and said, Thank you. This is the first thing that's worked and I've got my life back. So, and you know, that that's what works is stories. It's like, it seems so basic, but I work a lot with people in recovery and, you know, they don't want to tell their terrible story of sleeping on the streets yet. When they do, then it gives other people hope. And so, you know, hearing that I'm going to go to your website and I'm going to hear some stories. I just think that this could be a real answer for some people that have been suffering for a long time. Hopefully it does. And hopefully we can help more. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to to share it. My pleasure. I'm Lori Hardy and thanks for listening in today and we hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference.